We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date. Detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. Welcome into Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon today. Thanks for hanging out. It's a beautiful day outside, so hopefully you're taking in this great weather while listening to the show. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Brenda is joining us again from home. Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Last Sunday in July already. Can you believe it? Yeah, uh, this is this will be our final July show. I mean, we talk about those first two months taking forever, and we have just flown through the summer months. Oh, it is unbelievable how fast it's going. And yet at times it feels like, you know, the days just drag and you still have to think about, okay, which day is today? It, there's very much, in my mind, a mix of that where it's going by fast and then other times it seems to be kind of uh, really uh, lagging and trying to figure out where the next uh the next kind of phase that we're going to be in, and I don't mean the phases that the governor has put forth, but just where we're headed with this pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of it too, Joe. It's such a fear of the unknown about what's happening and what will happen between now and perhaps the end of the calendar year. I mean, it, it's hard to tell. Brenda, we're not sure what next week will look like. I mean, we, you know, usually, right. usually by Wednesday we can plan out what we're talking about on Hardline, but with this pandemic, I mean, it's kind of a risk to start planning out the show midweek because of what can change in 24 hours. No doubt about it. The only constant is change. So, hey, I want to put it out there real quick. I was thinking I haven't really been out to eat at a restaurant, but I was wondering if people would make brunch recommendations uh, of any places that are, you know, safe where you could perhaps sit outside and have brunch. And as an added benefit, could bring a dog. So (laughs) if anybody has a brunch suggestion for me, uh, I'd love to hit that after the show. And if you want to text that in at 716-803-0930, I thought that would be fun as well. All right, now let's get right into the show. It's Assemblyman Angelo Morinello joining us for the first segment. And Assemblyman, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well, doing well. Uh, let's kick it right off with uh, last week we were told what the state thinks is a substantial food, uh, what we can do when we go to bars, and how long we should stay. I just want to know, is there any, in Albany, any backlash for the governor telling restaurants what they can and can't serve? Uh, the backlash is from individual legislators whose districts are impacted. In the majority of the violations seem to be in the New York City area. Um, When we were addressing the pandemic, we broke the state into districts. I think that that should be done 
on this issue also, and the entire state should not be punished for areas that don't seem to be able to follow the rules. Assemblyman, uh, you represent uh, parts of Erie County and Niagara County, and there's all this talk about chicken wings. <laughs> and it's really funny to talk about wings in the Buffalo area because we're so identified with that. What are you hearing from restaurant owners and uh, takeout places uh, in your uh, district when it comes to what's, what constitutes a meal? Um, the, what I have done, my office put together, and I shouldn't say I, I have a staff that is incredible. Um, and we put together the SLA regulations. And then we, with a cover letter explaining that these are the regulations, when the SLA, which is the State Liquor Authority, put them out, they also had questions and answers, which could resolve a lot of the issues. And we are delivering them to each and every restaurant and tavern um, that we're physically able to do in a short period of time. Um, what, what I think is, and this is some of this is just my personal beliefs, Western New York particularly understands how to survive in difficult times. And I think that once the guidance and rules come out, the tavern owners and restaurants will be able to assess what they can and can't do. Um, you asked about chicken wings. Um, you know, I'm not going to defend the governor's statement, but I really don't think he meant Western New York chicken wing love. Um, most families go out and you'll go for pizza and chicken wings or just chicken wings, you know, order of 10 or 20, which become a full meal or for the table. Um, the guidance has been adjusted uh, in concept to where chicken wings, if you go in and order chicken wings for your table, that will be acceptable. But let's look at what is the concept that this is happening. It's just to try and have people come into an establishment and sit down and recognize it's not business as usual. It's not mass gatherings. You know, I was fortunate enough to go Thursday night or Friday night, I apologize, it was Friday. Um, there's a, a band that played Friday night that are a bunch of friends of mine, and it was incredible. You walked into this, it was a, in, um, an awning-type setting with some open-air space. Tables were separated. When you walked in, they took your temperature. You had to have a mask on until you sat down. The staff had masks. What they did was when you came in, they asked if you were looking for a certain table because if there were no tables, then they weren't allowing you in because they had reached capacity. And you were able to order a, um, a share platter for the table. It was well attended. The rules were followed. And what I commend the State Liquor Authority representative, knowing that there was going to be entertainment, they went earlier and talked to the owner just to make sure that all the rules were going to be followed. So I think what it is is it's just responding to the needs and responding to the rules, and we're pretty responsible. So everyone shouldn't suffer for the small amount of irresponsible individuals. Assemblyman, do you think there is an issue, though, early on uh, with communication 
uh, between the government and businesses? Because when we first saw this rule passed about eating and drinking, a lot of restaurants uh, and restaurant owners were very scared that they were doing something wrong because of the vagueness of the communication of the rule. Uh, Do you think we could do a better job communicating exactly what is and isn't allowed when these things are first passed? So I'm going to comment on a statement you and Brenda made earlier. Things aren't changing every 24 hours. They're changing every 24 minutes. Okay. (laughs) Um, and I think what's happening is, first of all, yes, I agree with that. But what's happening is they'll put some kind of a new rule in, sort of an edict or uh, an executive order, and then after that they'll come up with the guidance. So it's like putting the cart before the horse. They need to have the guidance to assess people. You can't just change a rule and then punish people or penalize them because they're not following guidance, which either is not clear or hasn't been produced yet. So absolutely, there should be more guidance in advance. It should be more well spread. Um, And that's why I said my staff is out bringing guidance so that individuals up front know what they can and can't do during this transition time. Tell us, uh, Assemblyman, how do you think the, uh, the citizens in your district, uh, Erie and Niagara, uh, responded to the crisis? Uh, it looks like for the first time since this broke out, there were no deaths reported in Niagara County. Uh, overall, do you think the compliance has been good in your area? The compliance is excellent. I want to commend all of the citizens of the 145th Assembly District. Um, but, you know, Western New York is unique in that it has a lot of open spaces. People exercise. They can get out. Um, and I was encouraged over the weekend. Yesterday I had a, uh, I was part of a presentation on Talking Matters, uh, dealing with community issues. But before, I took a ride around the falls, and it was really interesting. The state parking lot was full. The uh, adjacent parking lots were full. People were socially distancing. They were wearing masks. But people were coming here. Niagara Falls State Park is open. People are being responsible. And so, yes, Western New York, I think, has fared very well. Um, You you always have a few naysayers. But like the mask issue, I carry a mask. I wear it when I go into public. It's not a hard lift. There's certain things you have to know when to pick your battles. Right now, that's not a battle that I think anybody should be picking. Also, I wanted to uh, follow up with you about the economic impact of, unfortunately, having the Canadian border closed, that you don't have any tourists coming in from that area or other areas, obviously, from uh, around the world. Uh, How can uh, folks in that area survive? What What kind of help has... Uh, you have you and your colleagues in Albany been able to provide? Well, I'm going to deal with my district. Um, it, it's been devastating, but many of the places went to takeout only during the um, most difficult portion, and they, you know, they they didn't kill it, but they did very well. Um, it, it, it's a matter of local assessment. What do you have to offer, and how can you? Focus on things. Now, what I've noticed is early on, we had some Zoom meetings with our tourism industry, hotelers, restaurant. Um, and the, the key there was 
we were just focusing on everybody with the same message, focusing on Niagara Falls, Western New York is wide open spaces. We comply, come visit. The target audience was basically two tanks of gas. Um, And it's funny because when I was walking downtown and walking my district, many, many people, and I was amazed at how many from the Brooklyn area and Bronx area were visiting here, doing, taking advantage of the bicycle rentals, taking advantage of the falls. So it's, uh, it wasn't easy, but I could tell you this. Many of them have come up with ways to squeeze through until the Canadian border opens. Um, made it a miss, for example. They were able to, with guidance, go to 50% on the boats. Canadian side, they were letting three or four. So and the boats were going to capacity on made it a miss, which tells us that people are recognizing we're open for business and you can come here. Um, the federal aid helped some of them keep their employees employed. But on that topic, what I think needs to be focused on is not the federal uh, unemployment assistance for everybody. It should be for those that whose industries can't open. For example, banquet servers. Um, they're, out of, they're out of work maybe until the first quarter of next year. Well, it's not that they don't want to go to work. It's not that they have no desire to go to work. They are just prohibited by state mandates. So I think what we have to do is look at each segment individually and address those now. We did a larger scale assessment with everybody under one umbrella, but I think now we have to segregate the umbrellas and look under each umbrella to see what that industry's impact is, what the impact on those employees are, and what kind of assistance we can give them to stay above water. You know, uh, I've got a question and, and two follow-ups here. We'll start with, with the one that I've asked a lot, and uh, it, it's talking about things that are still closed. We look at gyms still being closed. Now, in the summer, you obviously have outdoor activities you can do. A lot of local gyms have brought some of their equipment outside and had social distance workouts. But do you see an oper- do you see in the next two months... Uh, Albany opening gyms in the state of New York, or at least in certain regions around the state of New York? I would hope they would in certain uh, regions. And, you know, this pandemic and the COVID-19 affects the immune system. Those that are healthy and work out, they have more advanced immune systems. So I think they're a little more resistant to the effects. I'm not saying they may not test positive, but it's possible to be testing positive for this or anything else, but have no effects on the system because your system is strong enough to fight it. So your question on gyms, most people in a gym are healthy. They, they work out. They, they put their headphones on. So I would hope that by the end of summer, the guidance comes out, and there really is maybe a, a mini sum, uh, summit with uh, gym owners and the governor's staff or the EDC staff as to what can you do, what can't you do. Um, We know that they're talking on filters um, in uh, air conditioning and systems like that. They can do that in the gym. So 
I think it's doing a disservice if we don't open them in the fall because people will become more ill, their immune systems may become more weakened. Exactly. And I 100% agree with uh, you with masks. You know, I always have my mask with me and I've now, now it's on back order, but I've purchased a mask that you can work out in. So I'd like to be able to test that in the gym and I'll do whatever they need. You know, social distance, you have to make a reservation. But speaking of gyms, we've had 4,900 fitness centers permanently closed around the country. A lot of those right here in New York State, along with restaurants, shopping and retail. Uh, Now, I know this is asking for just a hypothetical, just a prediction, but once we are out of this COVID-19, hopefully a vaccine comes in the next year and we can get somewhat back to the real normal, uh, do you see a plan by the state of New York to help those companies that right now have said they are permanently closing, maybe get back on their feet, maybe be able to reopen their doors? Well, there's discussions on it. But the budget woes that we have and the decrease in taxes that have come in has forced the state to continue to um, look to the federal government. Now, the federal government, it has been my understanding, and you know we get all kinds of reports, and none of us are in the rooms of discussion, neither you, neither I, neither Brenda. However, I think the federal government's uh, position is the expenses and the devastation caused by the pandemic would be help. They would help with that. Any prior deficits in any state spending because of irrational or extravagant spending, they're saying that's your own problem. And if we just cover that now and you don't adjust going forward, then it's going to happen again. So listen, there's, it's, I, I look at it as a two-pronged approach. We have to look at what has our spending patterns been? What have we spent it on? Is there accountability? Are we looking at these programs to see if they're accomplishing the goals? Are, is there waste within them? And then we have to go to the pandemic issues that come up. So I, I, I find it difficult for myself anyway to not be able to analyze them separately. When they try and glump them together, I think that creates the issues because that seems like you're trying to hide something. It's almost like your own personal uh, budget. You know, when one spouse is trying to hide an expenditure from the other spouse, you got to put it out in the open and let people know what is really happening. So that if we if we break it down and we bifurcate it, that yes, um, it will be easier to approach it. And so before we run, I, I do want to ask you about. Uh, the impact COVID-19 has had on veterans, and I know you fought in the Vietnam War, you served this country proudly, and then went on to uh, go to, you know, obviously college and law school, and had a very distinguished career as a judge, and now you work in the assembly. And so my question was, you, you've seen a lot of veterans in different uh, aspects and phases of their lives, uh, and you've been an advocate for a long time. Has the pandemic prevented you from helping these people? Has it been a budget issue? Where do you stand with that? Well, no, I think actually it's come to the forefront more during the pandemic. And people are really, really coming to the aid of veterans. Um, They are one of the areas that sort of get forgotten. Um, And one of the difficulties with veterans, and right now the pandemic 
um, within veterans seems to be the more the Vietnam combat veterans, okay, which was that the war that nobody wanted, nobody believed in. And, you know, here's how I put it. When we were drafted, and I was drafted in 68, we were sent to training, both basic and advanced infantry training. And what they did is they tore, tore down our moral compass, they tore down our mental compass, they built us up physically, and then they tra- turned us into, and I hate to say this, trained killers. So they went through six months of training. When we got released, they just released us into the streets. No counseling, no, no post-service uh, um, type of, of aid. So over the years, this has come to the forefront, and Vietnam veterans are more able to now talk about it, which also affects all the others. So I'm not just singling it out, but that is the the underlying issue. Now, New York State has done a great job with veterans. We have a great uh, um, veterans committee. Uh, There's been rules, laws passed. There's been assistance passed. Uh, Niagara Falls is just expanding their state veterans assistant building. Um, So the VA has cleaned up. The hospitals are fantastic. There's less complaints. There's money being put into them. So we still need some more focus um, on the homeless veterans and the mental health issues of the veterans that is lingering. Uh, But the, the framework is being put in. It's being recognized. And when you when you have an issue, the, the the main the first point has to be to recognize the issue. Then it has to be to what causes the issue, and then come up with a solution. And that simplistic comment goes with everything, whether it's a racism, whether it's the police. We have to identify, and we can't just go out in in mass and start complaining and fighting about it. We really need to talk about it. Assemblyman, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great Sunday. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for reaching out. I appreciate it, and God bless all of you. That's Assemblyman Angelo Morinello. Always great to talk to here on WBEN. When we get back from the news, we'll be talking schools, possible reopening. Will it be in the building? Will it be online? A mixture of both. Lessons learned from the previous few months that were spent online. And then at 11, we will be talking to a doctor about COVID-19. So if you have questions for schools, uh, shoot us a text, 716-803-0930. If you have any COVID questions, text them, 716-803-0930. We will pass those questions along. Thank you for joining us on a beautiful Sunday here on Hardline. Here now is Alan Harris. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon. And as I said, text those questions in at 716 803 Joining us this segment, we have Niagara Falls Schools Superintendent Mark Laurie on the line. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mark, let me ask you, before we get into what could happen this year, what were the lessons of virtual learning that you learned the last few months of the 2019-2020 school year? Yeah, I think we learned uh, a couple of really good lessons. And, and the, the first one is that the community was very patient with us the first time. Uh, they were very accepting. They, they were patient. First of all, uh, we have to be more prepared the next time. Secondly, surprisingly, uh, we learned that access in Niagara Falls was not as big an issue as it was in some communities. Um, all but 20 families reported that they had access through maybe a gaming system or a phone or a television. Third, we learned that while people reported that they had technology in their home, maybe a computer, that oftentimes it was one computer for three children and a couple adults, and that wasn't enough to be shared. On top of that, we learned that... um, their operating systems on their computer were somewhat outdated, and um, it, it didn't function the way we wanted it to function. So from those lessons, you know, we've had a, a lot of good learnings to prepare our plan going forward if and when we need the eventuality of having remote learning in the future. And Mark, I know the uh, July 31st deadline is looming for districts to submit plans uh, about reopening schools. Uh, how close are you to having that plan all ready to go? We are, we're close. Um, uh, again, we want to have one more meeting with our stakeholders. The stakeholders are the, the union leadership, uh, parents from all levels, you know, elementary, middle school, and high school Um and teachers, et cetera, but all, 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 all facets of our organization. We're going to have that final meeting Tuesday, and our plan then is to just write a script for each uh, stakeholder. What would the day in the life of a student look like? What would the day in the life of a teacher look like? What would the day of the life of a parent look like? What would the day of the life of a community member look like all around schools? And from there, we're able to extrapolate a plan that we'll submit, so uh, we'll probably go right till Friday before we actually press the button and link it to our website. But uh, we've had a lot of good conversations and talks over the past couple of weeks, and uh, we think we're close, but we still need a good another week to refine it, uh, present it to our board on Thursday, and then make any last-minute adjustments. I'm curious about uh, the notion of a hybrid plan where half the students attend for a couple of days and the other half attend. Uh, would would that work, do you think, in this case? Is that something that you're examining pretty closely as well? Yeah, that, that is what we're examining. Um, uh, I think it, I believe it can work. It's going to take a lot of cooperation, patience, adaptability. Uh, we feel it's the best way to come back. To be off of school for six months and then to bring 7,500 students uh, 
and 1,200 staff members in full, I don't think is the wisest return. Even if we had a vaccination of the, the you know, it was great that the uh, virus was gone, that still wouldn't be a good plan. So we think that it's best to bring people back slowly, develop rituals and routines. And when I'm talking slowly, we'll bring uh, kids back at 50%. So half of the class will come on certain days. Half of your class will come on another day. We'll leave a day in the middle for cleaning. We'll teach technology skills so on those days that you're not in, you're able to take lessons home with you. And then we'll evaluate it after a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks in, and say, where are the trends, what's working, what's not working. We'll evaluate it every day, but we'll take a really hard look at the model after two or three weeks and see if this is something that we need to sustain, pull back on, or are ready to release to go forward to a full-time return. Obviously, I know the uh, students are of paramount concern, their health and safety, but I'm sure you have concern for the teachers and, and aides and other staff members. Have you heard any concern, Mark, about teachers uh, not wanting to go back due to health concerns, perhaps underlying issues that they have? And uh, sure. is, there, is there a safety issue involved here if they don't come back? Yeah, that, that you know, we, we've got a, about a dozen really unanswered questions. And there are very, very legitimate reasons that teachers uh, maybe wouldn't want to come back with compromised health uh, systems that they have personally. Um, so I, I respect that. I understand that. We have to prepare and plan for that. Um, we don't want to put those teachers' health at risk in any way, shape, or form. I would say if you asked me to estimate the total number of staff uh, that are in that boat, probably about 10%, maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more. Uh, that's one of the last week questions that we have to plan for and have to address, one that we haven't answered yet. What will be their role? How will they be able to work? Should they be working? Should they not be? But it's a very legitimate uh, concern. It's a very legitimate issue. Uh, we have not received any direct guidance on that yet. Again, it goes back right now to a district-by-district district decision. I'll always err on the side of supporting those that don't feel their health is uh, you know, able to be put in any kind of jeopardy at all. How we'll utilize that staff will, is something that we've got to work on. But I can see a real active role for them in our distance learning platforms. Uh, Mark, I want to go back to the 50% of students at the in the building at a time plan. So would that be two days for one set of students, two for the other, and then you set a cleaning day in the middle? You you've read our plan, Joel. That's that's exactly what we're pla that's exactly what we're preparing for. So that's with students. Now, would teachers also be 50/50, or will teachers be there every day, but teaching 50% of their classes online from the classroom? Correct. Uh, your second statement is correct. Teachers and staff would be expected to come in every day, Monday to Friday. Uh, just as a, just for an example, we'll break the alphabet in half, A through L, M through Z. It never breaks that easy. Half of your class will come in on Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday would be the cleaning remote teaching day. Thursday and Friday would be that other half of the alphabet say M, M, M through Z, we'll make accommodations for family members in the same school. That's what our 
principals are working on right now, trying to, you know, make sure that they know of all of the family members and connections within a home so that they can come in together. That 50% plan is really most critical for the ability to social distance at that rate with our class sizes of about 22 to 24. uh, And occasionally there's a little bit higher and a little bit lower. We believe we can provide the six feet of distance and socially. We will mandate masks worn at all, or face coverings, I should say, worn at all times. Uh, we will allow those face coverings to be taken down during a socially distant lunch setup. And most importantly, since we bus 5,000 students, we believe we can do busing at 50%. That is a, That was a real concern. We have a layout of a bus that allows us to bring in up to about 26 students on one bus and keep them socially distanced with masks. I think it's time to try this, and, and that's what we're going to put forth. Now, will that be – so beside going to lunch, you'll have your mask on the entire day, even when sitting down in class? Yeah, that's the expectation. Now, that's how we're going to start. Uh, We probably will take mask breaks. I know I need a mask break when I'm in a gathering. I know I wear the um, gator-type face covering and need to pull it down from time to time. If they're six foot separated or more, you know, we may allow, and they're sitting at desks or tables spread out that way, uh, the teacher will have the discretion to allow that to happen. If there's any movement, of course, to go to a bathroom or so so on and so forth, they have to um, put their mask back up. It's going to take a lot of teaching. It's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of reteaching to do this. Um, But we're going to try and do it right. Uh, That's the only way I think it should and can work, Uh, and that's to be patient. We've got to, in my opinion, bring people back slowly, and I think this is the way to do it. And for the teachers that will be there every day, will there be some kind of uh, COVID testing for those teachers before the school year starts or maybe every other week? I don't want you to give too much of the plan away, uh, but will there be COVID testing available to those teachers? Yeah, no, I have no problem sharing it. I just I just want to caveat that with the fact that, you know, there's still a week to go before we finalize it. Yeah. So what we would what we will do uh, with respect to that is uh, teachers will fill out an um, uh, they have a QR code we've been doing it now every morning we get up you hit your QR code it asks you eight questions you fill it in it goes right into a database so in real time the school nurse can see it the school nurse is at the door for the teachers uh, taking temperatures and uh, making sure they have a mask so that will happen every day for the staff and it's worked out very well to begin with. Um, with students, it, it would be nearly impossible to temperature 7,500 kids. We're going to ask parents to do that at home before they step on the bus because once they step on the bus, the bus is an extension of the school, and we've already got to know then if there's a sign or symptom. We'll occasionally and randomly send home uh, questionnaires with parents. We'll call on parents to be very mindful and supportive and checking for signs and symptoms of their child's illness. We'll have an open house in August whereby we will certainly bring kids back for 90 minutes or something or so and we'll in, you know kind of teach 
parents, what are the signs and symptoms to look for. It is a lot of moving parts. It's not going to be easy, but we think we can do it. We think we can do it safely. We're talking with Niagara Falls School Superintendent Mark Laurie. And Mark, I remember the last time uh, Joe and I had you on Hardline, we talked about uh, feeding a lot of kids who perhaps don't have hot meals at home or nutritious meals. Yeah. What, will, uh, what will happen with the nutrition program in this era of COVID-19? So um, we're real. We're really pleased and proud and um, of our of our meal program. On Friday, we served our four hundred thousandth meal. Ninety five days, we've been providing food to the community, to the students of the community. We hit four hundred thousand on Friday, which is just an astronomical number for this city. It's been ninety five days. We will have socially distant lunch rooms, uh, and I've asked the principals to. Uh, because some of the lunchrooms are on the smaller side, they may have to take over a auditorium or a gym or maybe a classroom to make it a, a, another lunchroom temporarily so that kids who are in school on those four days can be spread out and take their masks down and eat. We also will provide uh, the door pickup lunch service on the other days. So every day, if you're not in school, including Wednesday or the Monday and Tuesday or Thursday and Friday, we'll have a door pickup. So that if you're not in school, you'll be able to pick up a breakfast and a lunch. Food is very important. It's a basic need. We've, we've shown and demonstrated through our work here at, uh, at Niagara Falls that it's got to continue. People appreciate it. It's also not just a distribution of food, but it's a way we can greet many families and give them information. Whether it's a sheet of, uh, you know, a, pa- a piece of paper with uh, phone numbers or what you should be doing or what's coming up, but it's another way to connect with the community. So we'll continue that every day, both in the in-school form and at the pickup form if the child is not in school. Again, we'll review this every three weeks or two weeks or four weeks, whatever we set is a, a, um, is a good temperature, you know, uh, or barometer rather to take the temperature of uh, where we are in, in the city and in the, in the, in the state. Well, the numbers that you just talked about are absolutely staggering when it comes to food distribution. I know that uh, uh, some of the areas of Niagara Falls are economically depressed, but I wonder how much do you allocate for food in your budget, or do you get some help from community partners? Well, that, that's interesting. And, and amidst all of this COVID and pandemic, the one area that we get fully funded from the federal government, because we are a community eligibility school program, meaning that every one of our schools is uh, over 40% on their poverty rate, the federal government through the school lunch nutrition program, the child nutrition program, uh, funds that. And um, as long as we have over 40% poverty in every school, which unfortunately we do, but we do, and we keep the meals and the labor and the costs under $2, which we're able to do, you know, we're in a position where we're, 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 we're breaking even. We're perfectly breaking even on the cost of food and distribution and lunch bags, um, which we've had to purchase as part of it, and the labor to make it. Uh, the food that we're distributing is cooked daily and, uh, you know, by our staff. 
So if we're able to keep that cost under about $2, that's a break-even proposition for us. Uh, We've been there. We don't need to go above it, and uh, we get enough food for families that way. Where the community partners have come in is that they've been providing the extra support for dinner programs. So um, we've had a couple of dinner programs where we fed the community, and um, we do have the provision in the child nutrition program to do that at certain schools. We're applying for more of that. On August 10th, it'll be our next dinner for the Hyde Park families. So during that time, we're distributing 400 dinners as well. So the basic need of food has been taken care of. I think we've got it down to a science. I think the community knows, you know, what we're all about and how we do it. And I really think they're appreciative. And I think when you look at some of the real great stories, I believe we've gained a modicum of trust, even with some families that we may not have known or had that trust factor with by being steady and supportive with meal distribution. Nice to know something good has come of this pandemic, Mark. Um, And one other point I wanted to bring up for folks who are essential personnel and need daycare, there's another conundrum, you know, what do you do in that case? But from uh, what I was looking at your website and I see that you've partnered with the Niagara Falls Boys and Girls Club to help. Uh, How has that worked out so far? It's been absolutely seamless and and very well done. Uh, We're fortunate to have the Boys and Girls Club here in Niagara Falls. They immediately raised their hand to be that daycare provider. They have slots for up to 80 first responder children. Uh, I know they've never even been close to that number. They average between 30 and 40. Uh, They have had no COVID cases or problems within the Boys and Girls Club. They um, have uh, distributed our packets. We've helped them by upgrading uh, with our with our technicians, we've kept their technology working and up to date so that kids could stay on computers. Um, they provided an invaluable service. They even extended their hours. I believe when they started, they were more of a, an eight to four uh, type of provider. But the Boys and Girls Club here in Niagara Falls has gone to seven weeks, seven days a week. And they started at seven in the morning and have gone to eight at night during the week. And on the weekends, they've gone from, I want to say, 8 to 5 o'clock. So they, they, they really partnered beautifully with us, seamlessly with us, and uh, we're, we're thankful. I'm thankful for our United Way agency who has supported the Boys and Girls Club with some extra dollars uh, to help with this process. So there's an example of three entities in Niagara Falls coming together, the Boys and Girls Club, the school district, and the United Way to make daycare something that's not uh, a difficult proposition, and we can easily refer them to, to the group over at the Boys and Girls Club. And Mark, I have one final question. You know, we have fitness centers closed here around the state. Will there be gym class in this new plan with social distancing? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little curious as to why, you know, fitness centers haven't opened to me, but there will be phys ed classes. And that's why I say it's curious. We will have phys- we will have the full continuum of courses. Um, phys ed, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for a continued good weather pattern. Uh, we'll put those phys ed classes outside as much as possible. You know, we've got beautiful athletic fields behind Niagara Falls High School and LaSalle Prep. Uh, 
Hyde Park School has Hyde Park Field right across the street. Many of our schools have playgrounds and, and, and areas to uh, walk and roam and play. So in a socially distant class with half of the students and the outdoors, we're going to get them out as much as we can. And during those inclement weather days, um, again, you'll have where you might have uh, 25 in a class, you'll have 12. You're able to take a pretty good-sized gym, spread kids out, have them work at stations. I think it's important that we don't cut back on any of the programming for kids, be it art. Music is a bit of a challenge as well. They'll have to go possibly sing outside, distant, in the theaters or the, the, the you know, the, the the auditoriums, and maybe not just on the stage, but from the seats that we have in the auditoriums to sing so they can really bellow out those songs and not have to worry about wearing a mask, but be six to eight feet apart. Trying to accommodate everything. I think well, the area that becomes the most difficult for us, and, and I'll just put it right out there, is the uh, pre-K classes and the kindergarten classes. We have a very robust uh, three-year-old program, four-year-old program, kindergarten program, and it's a lot more difficult to help keep kindergartners uh, with their masks on. So there's a little bit of anxiety we have there. We have a veteran kindergarten and pre-K staff, and we know they'll do their best to get kids in. We, we want to return kids to school. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to talking to you again as we approach the school year, and have yourself a good Sunday. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Brenda. I appreciate it anytime. All right, Mark Laurie, Niagara Falls School Superintendent, joining us. As he said, that plan should be available on their website by Friday. They're still working it out during this week. When we come back, we'll be talking to Dr. David Pierce from. He is the chief medical officer for Buffalo General Medical Center. He will be here to talk COVID 19. If you have any questions you want Brenda or I to ask, 716-803-0930. Get those texts in and we will pass them along. Right now, let's get a check with ABC News. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 